Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Seven o'clock. It's Tuesday. And I hope everyone's okay and um, bearing up under the strain out there. I am going to be doing some questions and answers. And I will be very happy and comfortable if you feel like chipping in and asking a question to me live. But if not, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. To be honest with you, I probably wouldn't if I was you. I would probably just stay quiet there. But if you do, I do very much appreciate those people who do get involved and ask questions and do what it says on the tin. Yeah. Please comment and share. Okay. So please do that if you want. But if you don't want, you're not going to get any criticism from me. I totally understand. So I am going to... Um, uh, what's going on? I don't know if these comments are these comments from before. Oh, I've got my thing still on. Right, let's. It's okay, guys. I know what I'm doing. Don't worry. Get rid of that there. Okay, I've done this before. Good evening, evening, Olivia. Nice to see you. Hope you're okay. I am safe and well. So far, so good. Hey, Gemma. Yay, connected. Pips connected. Vilma's here. Good to see you all. What I've got going on is a list of questions, and they go something a bit like this. Now, this is someone who's just put up, just comment, um, just inquired on Facebook like a minute ago. Well, probably half an hour ago, and she put an inquiry in saying, "Well, actually, full disclosure, she inquired on Sunday, and I've missed." Well, anyway, it was missed, shall we say? Maybe it will. I don't know. Anyway, I've answered it now. I've answered it now. So let's not let's not point blame. All right. We'll put the thing. Let's just doesn't matter. The details don't matter. The quest. The point is someone's inquired about breast enlargement said, can you send me some details? I said, yes, I've sent you some details, sent details. She said, well, what's the price? That's on the email. What's the total price? So I look at the email because to be honest with you, I don't really I'm not don't know all the prices off the top of my head. And um the, the price on the email says from, I don't even know what it is, 5775, is it, or something, or 59955, I can't remember what it is anyway, but whatever the price of it, if it is, it says from this, and, I can, and I'm reading it. You know what it's like when sometimes you, I talk to other doctors about this, you've got to mystery shop your own practice, because you look at your own practice and you think, and it, that might look a bit like, what do you mean from, you know, sounds like, hmm, uh, I did a blog about this for, um, gynecomastia saying why it says from but um i thought I'd t i thought i'd sort of i explain myself so i said to them i don't know if they're here tonight but i said to them i will i will tell i'll talk about the price of breast enlargement on the on this uh, platform which is what i'm doing now so basically um the price says from because there's essentially different prices and the there are they're basically a price for silicone implants and a price for polyurethane implants. Polyurethane implants are more expensive than silicone implants. 
I don't. God, here we go. I haven't researched this, have I? How much is? I think it's about six hundred pounds or so more expensive, or, or several hundred pounds more expensive as, uh, for polyurethane implants. So that's one reason why it says from. There's no difference in the price depending on the shape of the implant. Teardrop used to be more expensive, but they're not anymore. And uh, size, surprisingly. Um, so it's not like a bigger implant is more expensive than a smaller implant. All the implants are the same. Uh, and then there's a price for me and a price for um, one of my colleagues. There's there's basically my colleagues and me. And the, the reason that's a different price is because I am trying to build the practice and trying to put things in place and I'm trying to do stuff in the practice so I can't I realized a few years ago I can't sort of treat every patient so I've got colleagues in in who are the same level of experience where it's not like you have a sort of junior or a senior we're all consultant plastic surgeons we've all got the same level of experience we all work together but um there is a price for, for for having it done with them and having it done with me. So basically, there's four prices: me and me, or one of my colleagues, and uh, uh, silicone and polyurethane. So basically, the five seven seven five. What was the price? I can't remember what it was. I think it's five seven seven five. Don't don't quote me on that. But whatever the price for rest augmentation was, is for a silicone implants with one of my colleagues, and then it would be different for. Polyurethane implant with one of silicone implants with me, silicone uh, polyurethane with me. I thought that'd be a good thing to talk about, but I don't know if it has now that I've talked about it. But anyway, it's done now. I've said it. So I thought that would be a good first question. Was that a good <laughs> Was that interesting? Anyway, don't overthink it, Jay. Don't overthink it. Can't push on. Push on. Show must go on. Chat's kicking off. Vilma said, oh, I've seen that already. Pip says, hilarious already before we even started. Um, yep, I'm okay. Feeling a little less cray-cray this week. Cray-cray? Right, okay. Um, can you talk about... Oh, my, look at that. We're straight in. Oh, look at that, Pip. As if as if it was... Can you talk a little bit about different types of implant and how it affects the cost? Okay. Well, um, yeah, well, that's it really, Pip. <laughs> when did you put that? Was that before or after I said what I just said? Anyway, so, yeah, basically... It's, it's essentially that polyurethane implants are more expensive. They cost more to buy. And the, the uh, implant thing is set by the hospital. The hospital, uh, it costs more. So uh, polyurethane implants cost more than silicone implants. So that's why it says from, because there's two prices. In terms of smooth implants or textured implants, both of which are silicone, there's no difference in price. In terms of round and teardrop, there's no difference in price. And in terms of size, there's no difference in price. So it's just that. There's just a different price for polyurethane. As I say, I can't remember how much it is. I'm sorry. I think it's 600 pounds odd, I think, off the top of my head. But I'm very sorry for uh, not knowing exactly all the prices before I've come on here. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, don't like it, Pip. I don't like, I don't like, it doesn't sit with me well when people start talking about prices. I feel a bit, Ugh, you know. So it doesn't, I feel like I'm the clinical, I, I know I brought it on myself because I put the question up, didn't I? I started it myself. Perhaps I shouldn't have brought, put the question up, but I don't feel comfortable engaging in terms of price because some people say, like I said last week, discounts, discount for cash and I'll give you this much if you, you know, you know we'll do it now. If you, <laughs> It's sort of like you're at the, you know, at the market buying some strawberries or something. But uh, anyway, so basically there's two prices, silicone and polyurethane. 
essentially. So price-wise, that, that's it for implants. Um, all silicone implants are the same price, and all polyurethane implants are the same price. It's just they're different. Oh, my God. God, what have I started? Are your colleagues... Are you more expensive than your colleagues? Yes. Pay for the best. Yes. Yes. Uh, Gemma, can you do fat transfer to breasts, and is it always successful? Yes. Um, so yes and, well... Yes, you can do trap for fan transfer to breasts. That's easy, um, and that's, or at least that's an easy question to answer. Maybe not an easy thing to do, but it's a, uh, an easy thing to question to answer. So yes, you can. And um, you know what, Gemma? I know I hear what you're saying. I, I, it's coming through. You're saying there's not. Uh, um, I looked at one. I was looking back, and I think we need to get. I think we need to get a, a, a quite a nice board around Hooverley. We've got a, um, so, um, Gemma. Mm, no, what's that? It's like a mirror. Mm -hmm. So, fat grafting to breast is a good thing to do, and it's a very useful technique. Although I always explain to people that it has limitations in terms of just giving a um, a subtle increase in volume. It was on that last week. Um, wasn't last week. But it, hmm. Was it not? But is it always successful? I would be very bad boys. I would be very wary, Gemma, about anyone who told you that an operation was always successful. I'm very sorry to say that no operation is all. What do you think about that? Can't like that. No operation is always successful. I hate to say it, and I, God knows I wish it was, Gemma, because it would make life, my life, and all us, speaking for all my colleagues, all the fighters out there, you know, we're fighting the good fight. We're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to make everyone happy. We, you know, God knows we're trying. But unfortunately, there is no operation in the land that is always successful. Um, even when you get down to the most simple most common cosmetic surgery in the world, ear piercing. You know, it's not always successful. Uh, it, it seems like a simple thing to do, but you can get keloid scars. You can have it heal up. You can have also, but you know. So, is it successful? Lights gone out. No, not always. No operation ever is, and there are risks with it. Now, the risks with fat transfer to breast are infection. Uh, that's one of the big things that we worry about: infection. The, uh, and if you've got an implant in and you're fat grafting over the top of the implant you could get the implant infected and have the implant removed. Again, if you've got an implant and you can damage the implant while you're doing the fat grafting, you can um, in, always overdo it or underdo it to, to put too much fat in, too, much, too little fat in, causing bumps or dents. Uh, the fat can die, causing what's called fat necrosis, which might manifest itself as hard lumps or cysts. So there's all sorts of things that I'm sorry to say that can go wrong. Um, uh, similarly, from the donor site, the place where you take the fat from, you can get bruising, swelling, dents and contour irregularities from there, pain, um, funny sensations. So there are complications associated. My head, have I got the angle? So there are complications associated with it, as there are with any operation, but you can do it, Gemma. You can do it, definitely. Hold on a minute. What's going on? What's going on? Hold on, I've lost, I've lost control of the chat. I've looked away and I've lost control. Cray cray means crazy. Okay, thank you for that, everyone. Cray cray means crazy. Okay. 
before lol before before oh you typed it before i did the question about breast augmentation okay about prices um julia's here good evening julia is the lighter weight implants betters for a weight loss patient that needs a lift and implant um the lighter weight implants which you're talking about there i think you're talking about the be light implants there which are the lightweight implants they are good particularly if you're going for a bigger volume i think i think they are really good um i don't think necessarily they're gonna i wouldn't make that a differentiator in terms of weight loss patient that might need a lift and implant in if you need a lift with an implant and you don't want a lift with an implant and you're trying to do it with an implant alone then it's that shape of that implant that's going to be important and that you've got to think about and that's where you might want to think about having an implant with more projection to try and fill the skin or watch this space conical implants you heard it for it first they're thinking of bringing out conical implants again um i was supposed to be talking about it in march but it's obviously this is all kicked off but uh, they're good for they used to do them a while ago uh, and they're good for people who need a lift and an implant but um, the light, the fact that it's light is not going to make it better for shape. It's, it's not going to make the, I mean, the argument is that it's less heavy and drooping in the future, but that's the same for anyone. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it's a challenging group of patients who need a lift with implant, who don't want a lift with, who want just implants. It's a challenge. And it's something that I've spoken about at meetings and what have you, because it is a, it's difficult and you've got to accept um compromise if you're not going to have a lift with implants lift with implants is the best way to improve the say the say the shape and the size of your breasts and if you don't want to have a lift which a lot of people don't then you can sometimes do it with just implants but you have to accept compromises hope that's helpful pip i know i understand joanna is in the house so um i hope you're well joanna hello and thank you for my look after many years. They're amazing. Look at that. And I'm happy again. Big thank you. Look at that. That is the sort of spontaneous publicity we need more of. We need more of people like you, Joanna, in this. Um, thank you, Joanna. Let's just bond. Hold on a minute. Who put that temperature? Let's get that temperature out of the way because that temperature. Come on. Let's get it. Okay. Screenshot that, guys. Days in quarantine. Sorry, I don't necessarily want my days in quarantine. Right, is it 36? I don't know. Let's just savor that for a minute, guys. Okay, let me know when you've read it. Okay. Hello, and thank you for my look. After many years, they're amazing, and I'm happy again. Big thank you. Yes. Yes. See, it does, sometimes it all, all works. Brilliant. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you for, for, for getting involved. It's very kind of you. I'd like to post, pin that. Let's pin that comment. You can't get up a pole, though, with fat transfer, can you? Question mark. That's a leading question, Pip. That's a leading question. I'm not supposed to use leading questions as doctors, but you're absolutely right. You can't. No, not in my hands. You can't. You can't in my hands and in my experience. And that's the thing about plastic surgery. Who was I talking to about this? Anyway, you probably don't mind who care who I was talking about. I was talking about. But, um, yeah, they, they do say, you know, it's more of an art than a science. And I think you will get different opinions. So, I need my dis I've got a disclaimer somewhere, haven't I? I need my disclaimer. This is just my opinion. Uh, live shopping, no. What's that? Ad media, no. Anyway, let's just say I'm going to verbal verbalize the dis disclaimer. Oh, I think it was the old version of this. I've got it. Anyway, it's my opinion, and everyone's different. But um, in my opinion, if you get volume in the upper pole, whether it by fat, whether it be by fat grafting, 
or whether it might be be by doing a lift because when you do a breast lift the volume's up in the upper pole and you're like whoa sometimes it's overly up in the upper pole and it's like oh my lord look what's going on here gravity acts on it and it will settle so we can try and get volume in the upper pole by fat grafting and by doing lifts and things and i'm not, not saying it's completely um uh, hopeless it does work to an extent but in time it always does tend to settle and uh, that is the um, limitation that it always does tend to settle and if you want sustained fullness in the upper pole if you want to keep fullness in the upper pole the best way to keep it there have it not acted on by gravity is with an implant which may or may not be what you want to hear but it's it's an implant you need an implant to to get that volume uh yeah volume up there yeah <laughs> so yeah fat grafting is is good for filling in dents and lumps and what have you but it is not so good for um sustained fullness up in the upper pole fancy what's your what, my screen my border do you like that all right i have to reflect on that mia good to see you mia hi jonathan hope you're doing well i'm hoping to come into the surgery when it reopens for consultation about mole removal for some moles on my back and stomach i was wondering if you could outline some of the factors that might cause the removal of the first mole to be more expensive is a raised mole one centimeter in diameter likely to cost more thank you um okay two things there mia i think i think number one thing is removal of the first mole is more expensive than the second mole in terms of if you have two moles it costs less to have two done it costs less to have both done than one done. And then, so I'll answer that question. And the other question is maybe one mole is more expensive than another. Anyway, okay. Um, so, yes, if you're having two moles done, it's a bit like if you're having two procedures done. So if you're having a breast implants and a tummy tuck, it's cheaper than having a breast implants one day and then a tummy tuck another day because... And it's even more cost effective in terms of moles, especially if they're on the same part of your body. So if you've got three moles on your back, for instance, if you have them done at separate times, it will cost you, let's say they're small moles. So I think it's 750 for a small mole. So it'll cost you um, 750 to have it have, have one mole removed from your back. So you start 750 uh, for, for a small mole. And then it anyway, and then you come back next week and have another mole from your back. It'll be another 750 because we'll op open another pack. We'll theatre time, you know, the time in the operating room uh, is expensive and the pack and the consumables and all that. We have to open a new one. But if you have two done on the same day, so if you have if your back is there and you cut one out and you have to just cut another one out, you use the same knife. You may or may not need another stitch. Um, you certainly use the same bipolar forceps, the same equipment, you know, all the equipment that we've got you use the same equipment because you're just cutting two out. So it's there's economy of, of, of not of scale, but of volume. So having two moles is a lot more expensive, a lot cheaper to have them done in the same operation than if you have one mole and then come back next week to have another mole. So that's one thing. But the other thing, I don't know if you're asking this, is why is one mole more expensive than another mole? So if you, so we say from, it's another one where we say from price, and it depends on two things, size and location. And because a big mole on your tummy might be quite easy to remove, whereas a big mole on your face might be quite hard to remove. So it's not just purely on size, it's size and location. So a bigger mole in a more difficult location would be more expensive than a smaller mole in an easier location. Um, 
So I, I hope that's perhaps covered what you're talking about. And it'd be lovely to see you, Mia. And I'm hoping, we're, Mia, we're planning, I've got to tell you now, we're planning for next month. Now, we will be guided by the government, etc. So they might have different view on it. And I think they're making announcements on Sunday. So we're going to make, you know, we're not, obviously, we're just trying to, trying to plan as much as we can but we're planning for next month but uh yeah some of the factors that might cause a real model yeah so that's it really is that so is a raised mold one centimeter diameter like to cost more no well one centimeter is not too bad and a raised mold no and certainly a raised mold because you can do a shave excision a raised mold which is slightly easier than doing a formal excision a formal excision of a one centimeter mold that's in your inner canthus here with your eyelid in the way and everything might be a bit more tricky than a one centimeter one with on your chin cheek where there's a bit more laxity or on your back or on your tummy but broadly speaking one centimeter is not too bad so that would you know probably be a sort of normal price any news, any further news on non-elective surgery this week? No. Um, as I say, Livia, we're trying to look at getting clinic open next month. Hope, well, even then, that's just not news. That's just what we're trying to, we're just trying to get some plans in place. And that might change when the government tells us what they want to do. But non-elective, well, non-elective surgery, the clinic, I think, we'll be able to do, well, I hope we'll be able to do sooner um, because we can control that environment a little bit better than the hospitals because they are i think are going to be experiencing more delays in terms of getting things up and running I, I don't know if that's a fact um i'm hoping they'll be able to increase the capacity and we'll be able to get through cases but um no as i say even the even the opening of the clinic is just we're just trying to make plans and we've got no we've got no uh, firm firm timings on it olivia but i'll tell you something olivia you'll be the first to know julia well i think ahead well i think ahead lol less drooping is good julia were you talking about the light implants yes yeah less drooping is definitely good no question about it absolutely and for long term yeah the light ones might might let be less likely to droop and sag Gemma, so I guess if you have the fat transfer, then it's most likely going to cause sag much sooner with the weight volume of them over time. No, no, uh, Gemma, it's not. Uh, it is true that your bigger your breasts, the more they'll sag over time. So, so for instance, if you if you want to lift, if you actually had a reduction, if we could take some volume out, then it'd be less likely to sag over time. But to be honest with you, the volume of fat that you use for a fat transfer is quite small. So I don't think it would have a significant effect. I guess it would have a marginal effect because it would be adding volume to your breast. And the more volume there is, the more it's acting on by gravity. But it's not a significant effect. It's pretty marginal. So I wouldn't make that a big deal breaker in terms of having fat transfer. I wouldn't be thinking, oh, if I have fat transfer, they're going to sag uh, more than if I didn't um, because it is small volume. Joanna, thank you. Thank you, really very very kind thank you not you know um jackie's late for joining don't worry jackie no problem you don't have to say sorry you can come anytime you can watch the watch it on you can watch it anytime i think can't you watch it replay can you fix dog ears on uplift slope reduction in clinic yes assuming they're not huge you know if they're huge then maybe not but pretty much pretty much always yes i would say um but you know disclaimer 
Yeah, that's a massive, yeah. Thank you, Olivia. Tracy, hi, Jay. That's it. That's what I like to see. Hi, Jay. In breast surgery, could you tell what is meant by overs and unders? And if no, if one is better than the other, thank you. Oh, Tracy, you've been on the forums. You've been on the forums, have you? I'll tell you what, Tracy, the sort of words they use on those forums, I, I'm lost on it most of the time when people come on here and say MR and overs and unders um people talk about stuff in a different way to the, how most of us do and overs and unders i think is a term that well i know actually i know overs and unders i know actually mr muscle repair apparently um found that out the hard way live on facebook mr didn't know what mr oh, sorry um so that means so the muscle, Tracy, that's talking about the muscle under or over the muscle and the muscle being the pec major muscle. So we're talking about breast implants here. We're talking about placement of breast implants. So the muscles, your pec major goes across here like so. You know, bodybuilders have a pec, pec you know, your big pec. And really uh, in my practice, in my, my hands, I put them under the muscle if you're very slim. So if you so first thing I'd say is, are you happy with your weight? If you're not happy with your weight, if you want to change your weight either way, put on or lose weight, then you better to do that before surgery because it might affect judgments for this sort of thing. But uh, if your weight's pretty stable, then really what you're looking for is how much soft tissue cover you've got in the upper pole to see whether you can hide the implant, if you like, because we're trying to hide the implant. What I often do in clinics, I hold up an implant and, and, it, and it's all ripples, all the implants like ripple. And all implants do that to a greater or lesser degree. And they do that in the body. And the question is whether you can see those ripplings. So they, they all, they're all rippled, but the question is where you can see them. And if you're very slim, and if you can see your rib cage as a sort of as a sort of a litmus test, is that the right term? Well, anyway, a quick test. Um, if you can see your rib cage, I worry that you're going to be able to see the ripples of the implants. So if you can see your rib cage, that's when I start thinking, hmm, hold on, I need to put another layer over the top of the muscle to hide it by putting them underneath the muscle. Now, when you put them underneath the muscle, it's just the upper pole that it covers because your pec major goes here to here. So the out, the lower outer part of the, of the implant is always uh, sort of just under the breast. So you might see or feel ripples laterally on the side, but at least this is more important, this sort of cleavage area. You don't really want to be seeing ripples there. You don't want to be feeling the edges of the implant. So that's where putting them under the muscle does come into play. Now, you might say, well, hold on a minute. No one wants to feel the implant. Why do you put them all under the muscle, for goodness sake? You know, no brainer, surely. Now, as with anything, and again, be careful if someone tries to tell you one way is better than another way. Because if one way, if it's better to put them under the muscle, full stop, we'd all do it that way all the time. But we don't. Why don't we? Well, I'll answering my own question because there's a risk of the implant sitting high sometimes the muscle can hold the implant high sometimes the muscle can hold them wide if you don't release the muscle enough and sometimes you can get what's called animation deformities which means if you're exercising if you're moving your arm the breast moves so those are risks that you get when you put it under the muscle uh, which you don't get so much when you put it over the top of the muscle also it hurts a bit more when you do the surgery bleeds a bit more slightly more risk of heat of hematoma so there are bad things about putting them under the muscle but there are good things about putting them under the muscle and so it's not a question of one's better than the other it's a question of what's better for you so if you can see your rib cage maybe under the muscles better if you can't you've got enough soft tissue cover over your breast and over your chest wall maybe 
under uh, over the top of the muscle is better. Okay, Tracy, feel free to come back to me. That's what they say on the coronavirus thing. Feel free to come back, Tracy, if you want another question. Um, meanwhile, Mia's back in the house. Uh, I'd probably have three done at the same time as I had such a good experience the first time. Look at that. They're all out tonight. They're all out, or both of them. Anyway, both the happy patients are out tonight. Thank you, Mia. Um, I found caring for three at the same time manageable and it's more cost effective. The one centimeter raised mole is just offset from my spine on my back. And then I have two flat moles, both one centimeter on my stomach, which I probably have done at the same time. It is absolutely Mia. Um, it is more cost effective to have them done at the same time because uh, it's, yeah, it's a lot easier because you just, it's all there and you know there's there's not there's not there's to do two moles takes a little bit longer than doing one mole it doesn't take twice as long you know because there's a lot of the faffing with all the prepping and putting local in and blah, blah, blah. um so yeah it's a lot more cost effective to have multiple well not, maybe not multiple but certainly two or three moles at the same time is 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 certainly but the th thing is also mia and i think um, when people are first having things done, you're a bit wary, aren't you? You don't know how it's going to turn out. You worry about scars and things like that. So it's not unusual for people to say, look, you know what? I'm just going to have one done, see if it looks like it's a disaster. And then I'm flipping, not going to have more done. But if it's fine, they'll have more done. And then if it is fine, they think, oh, I should have had more done. But at the time, they weren't sure what it's going to look like. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to just, you know, see how you go. Natalie's here. Wondered where you were, Natalie. Where? What are doggies? I keep hearing about them and I have no clue. That's a good one, Natalie. That's a good one. Dog ears are terrible name, terrible, terrible name. But basically, it's a pleat in <laughs> the tissues. So when you're cutting, when you when you when you when you cut out a bit of tissue, and you stitch it up, when you cut out something, that might be a mole, or, or right. Let's take a mole. So moles are usually round. So if you cut out a circle, if you can imagine cutting out a circle and stitching it up, cut out a circle of cloth and stitch it up, you'll get massive bumps, you get massive pleats if you stitch it closed. And those pleats are the dog ears. So in order to reduce the dog ears, what we do is we make the circle into an ellipse. And that makes smaller dog ears. The only way not to get a dog ear is to make a straight line cut in the skin so this is the other surgeons who don't cut out skin. If you don't cut out any skin, if you just make a cut in the skin, do something and stitch it up, you're not going to get a dog ear. But as soon as you start cutting out skin, be pleats at the end when you close the skin up, because the length of the the length of your incision is longer than the length that you're stitching it into. So you get a pleat at the end, a bump at the end, and that's a dog ear. So it's common in any surgery where we cut out skin. So cutting out a mole. Tummy tuck, classic, because you can get a big bit of skin out, uh, breast reduction, any any thing, any scar, any uh, surgery where you're cutting out skin, arm reduction, thigh lift, face lift, there is a, a risk of these bumps. And we do a lot to, to reduce them. And the best way to reduce them is to make the scar longer, but we're trying to make the scar as short as we can. So there's often a balance. So it's just a little pleat, a little bump at the end of the scar and it usually settles down. But if it doesn't, they're pretty easy to fix. You just cut them out and you can usually do it under local anesthetic in the clinic, as I said. But it's just a little bump at the end of the scar. Um, and it's something to be aware of if you're gonna have some surgery which involves cutting skin out. Which is, um, so it's just a, a risk. Gemma, 
Thank you. So for short term, the fat transfer could give some extra shape volume instead of using an implant. Obviously, I know it's not the same effect, but if you were happy with the size but wanted a little more volume projection, could this be the best option? No. No, Gemma, I don't think it would be the best option if you're happy with the size, uh, but wanted a little more volume and projection. I don't know. I don't think volume would, I don't think fat transfer would be good to give you more volume and projection. Fat transfer is good if you have contour deformities, irregularities, rippling, visible rippling, and you want to cover the ripples with some fat, but it doesn't really give you significant extra volume and projection. No. No, I don't think Gemma, Gemma, sorry, sorry to disappoint. I don't think fat would be good for that. It's it's really subtle the volume you get with fat grafting, so it's only for for contour irregular. It's not going to give you a significant increase in, in volume and projection. If you want a change in volume and projection, then you need to think about maybe changing implants, and that would mean going to a higher projecting implant, which would be a bigger implant. So you you know it's not really congruent with you saying you're happy with the size because if you're happy with the size but not happy with the how much volume and projection you've got, then something's got to change. Either you've got to be remain unhappy with the volume and projection or change the volume and projection but have a bigger size because it's going to stick out more, unless they're very wide, the implants you've got. But sorry, Gemma. I can tell you wanted me to say that was a yes. Sorry about that. This is probably a silly question. No such thing as a silly question, Mia. I'm desperate for questions. You know that. Come on, let's have it. What you got? But with a shave excision, is pigment still removed from the skin beneath the raised mole? The mole on my back is raised, but it almost sits on top of pigment as if there was a flat mole beneath it. Thank you. That's not a... Thank you. Oh, thank you for taking the time to listen to me ramble. Mia, you ramble away, girl. I do this every week. Um, that is a good question, Mia. Better than most of them. God, have you seen some of the others I've been having? Flipping heck. <laughs> joking. I'm joking. They're all good. Anyway, I don't think there's anyone else here. I think it's all right. Um, so um, that is a good question. You're absolutely right. One of the problems with shave excision is that if it's a pigmented mole, so if it's a brown mole, sometimes the pigment goes deeper than the level of the level of so you shave it down to the level of the skin and sometimes the pigment goes down deeper so if you can actually see that there's pigment at the base and it looks like the mole sitting on top of it then it probably won't be removed the pigment probably won't be removed so you'll have a flat you'll get rid of the lump the raised part of it but you'll end up with a flat brown mole i guess um sometimes the pigment is sitting on the top of the mole and you can see the base isn't too heavily pigmented and they those situations you would hope that the pigment would be removed, but that is a risk. It's the pigment, and the other thing, sometimes not so much on the back, but often on the face, there's hairs. Sometimes you get quite dark hairs growing from the mold. And again, the level of the hair follicles is sometimes deeper than the level of the shave. So if you shave a mold, one of the risks is that you can leave pigment behind and you can leave hair follicles behind. So it will get rid of the fat that is raised, but it might be still pigmented and it might still be have a hair so if it's the pigment you don't like then you might be thinking about having it excised there which would just give you a line scar but slightly longer so that is not a stupid question at all Mia that is a very good question and it would be coming to the decision making as to whether you have a shave or an excision 
So in, it, it, in order to ensure that all the pigments removed, then maybe an excision where you have it cut it out and stitch it up might be a way to go. Helen, good one for you. What's the difference between on block and total capsulectomy? Thank you. Um, Helen, yeah, I mean, this is another one, Helen, which I think people, I think patients, it's interesting as surgeons because we don't know what goes on out there. And I think patients talk about stuff. Well, I know patients, I say patients, people, people talk about stuff and they come to us with these words like overs and unders and MR and on block capsulectomy and things. And you think where they were from. Um, and I don't think, I don't think people know what they are saying when they're asking for an on-block capsulectomy. And so strictly speaking, from a medical term, there is a difference between an on-block and a total capsulectomy. And the difference is a total capsulectomy means you remove all of the capsule. So for those of you who don't know what we're on about, when you have breast implants, sometimes you get scar tissue forming around it, which can go hard, which is called a capsule, uh, a capsular contracture. And sometimes people need surgery for this. And if it's bad, you can have a total capsulectomy. And a total, total capsulectomy remove, involves removing all of that capsule. And what you normally do is you use the same incision, maybe slightly larger, so five centimeter incision normally when you put breast implants in. You might have to extend it a little bit, but around five centimeter incision, make the incision, you dissect out that capsule and that implant's gone really rock hard. And you, you dissect out that capsule. Now, as you get to the end of dissecting out that capsule, what you usually do is you make an incision in the capsule, you take out the implant, which is usually, um, well, not usually, but often fine. It's often the implant, that's not, it's not the implant that the pro that's the problem, it's the scar tissue around the implant, although the implant has caused the scar tissue, but anyway. Um, and then you remove the rest of the capsule to get it out through that five centimeter incision. So that's a total capsulectomy. All of the capsule has been removed. Um, now an on block capsulectomy is where you take out the implant with the capsule surrounding it in one piece. An on block, is a term that is used in cancer, to be frank, in cancer surgery. When you're removing a cancer, you often want to remove it on block. You don't want to cut into the cancer. You want to cut, you want to take everything out on block. You just want to take out that area where the cancer is. So it's actually a cancer term. But in terms of doing a, an on block total capsulectomy, it's very rare to do an on-block total capsulectomy because in order, because you've got this quite big, hard implant, you can't get that big, hard implant out through a five centimeter incision because the implant is wider than five centimeters. Now, once you've opened the cap, the hard capsule and taken the implant, it's squishy again. So it comes out through that five centimeter incision. But if you're keeping it on block within that scar tissue, you're not going to get it out through that five centimeter incision. You have to make a very big incision. I did one the other day. I'll say the other day. Well, it's like a comedian, isn't it? Went down the chippy the other day, probably three years ago. Probably never even went to the chippy, did he? But I did. Um, but it wasn't the other day. It was a while ago. But it was because I was doing a lift. I was doing a lift at the time. So that's a much bigger incision. So I could do an on-block capsulectomy. Um, but it's very rare and you don't need it. And the reason people think they need it is usually in terms of the breast implant illness, um, perhaps ALCL. I think if you had an ALCL, if you had a cancer, which is a very rare thing, it's out there, but it's really rare. But if you had a cancer, I think you probably would be thinking about doing an on-block capsulectomy. Um, but 
you usually are asking for it in terms of the uh, breast implant illness in where people feel that the, cap the capsule or the implant has made them feel ill. Um, and I think, to be honest with you, it would probably fine, be fine to do a total capsulectomy in that circumstance. And I think a lot of people asking for on block don't understand the difference between an on block and a total capsulectomy. And if they did, they would probably, well, I don't know, I shouldn't preempt what they would think, but I think it would be reasonable to say a total capsulectomy would be fine because there's, you're just getting the whole of the capsule out anyway. The fact that you've opened the capsule to take the implant out before removing the rest of the capsule just makes it easier to take it out through a small incision. So that's a very good question, Helen. And that is the difference between an on-block and a total capsulectomy. And an on-block capsulectomy, maybe if there was a cancer there, might be indicated. But other than that, is not really indicated. If you want to get all of the capsule out, you can just do a standard total capsulectomy and remove the implant. I usually remove the implant quite late, so I leave it in for quite a lot of the time because it makes it easier to do the capsulectomy. And then just towards the end, I will take the implant out and then take the last of the capsule out and take it out through the smaller incision. Hope that has um, covered that one, Helen. Lovely question. We're getting some caucus tonight. I've got to be honest. Thank you for that. Amanda is late to the party, but can I ask if a diastasis can be repaired with surgery but not full tummy tuck? Yeah, that's a good question. This is a tricky one, you know. This is a tricky one. It's tricky. Um, and you, you know, you guys don't know what we go through, us surgeons. You just think, oh, yeah, just got a bit of a, you know, bit of a bowl to get it fixed. And it's really hard if you're not doing a full tummy tuck. It's really, well, not really easy, but it's a hell of a lot easier doing it during a full tummy tuck. But if you've got a diastasis, if you've got diastasis being a, a gap between the rectus abdominis muscles, a gap between the muscles in your abdomen, uh, for those viewers who don't know what a diastasis is, um, also known as divarification of the recti. Um, but if you, because the muscle di diastasis goes all the way up to the, to the rib cage, and you want to get all the way up to the rib cage. When you're doing a tummy tuck, you're doing that anyway. You're making a tunnel up to the up there anyway, doing a tummy tuck. If you're not doing a tummy tuck, especially not a full tummy tuck, how on earth are you going to get up there? Now, the easiest way to get up there is to do a straight paramedian incision. Straight incision. Boom. Straight incision down there. Then you're there. Happy days. Then you're there. Easy job repair the diastasis but you might not be happy about having a great big scar down the front of your tummy looking like you've had a you know your stomach removed so um if you're going to do it through this incision without doing the tummy tuck we take all that out and get all that up here if you if you just do it through that incision it is very hard speaking from experience <laughs> it's very hard and because you've got the belly button in the way the belly button's tethered so you have to transect the belly button do what we call float the belly button and you have to try and get all the way up to the rib cage from this incision it's miles away down the bottom and it's really hard i won't say it's impossible but it's an absolute nightmare and it's not nice to do and it's a hell of a lot easier just to make a straight line incision down the down down the abdomen but um yeah so it can be done but it's really difficult and I, yeah, much better doing it at the time of a tummy tuck. Um, good question. I hope that's answered, Amanda. I don't know if your personal circumstances different or what the context of that is, but 
Um, Olivia, do your kids watch your lives like I used to visit my dad at the hospital? Don't answer if that's too personal a question. Well, it's too late now, Olivia. I've read it out. Um, no, they don't. I don't think. Well, to be honest with you, Olivia, I don't know what they do. I don't know what they get up to. I don't think so. Put it, let me put it like that. I've got no reason. I've got no evidence to suggest that they do. They've never said anything that have uh, showed any interest in my um, Tuesday evening activities whatsoever. So, no, I don't think they do, Olivia. But if you are watching, guys, um, get ready for bed. And uh, I'll see you in a minute. I'll be out in a minute. But um, no, Olivia, I don't think they are watching. Um, God help me if someone commented on here. I think they'd be in trouble. I don't think they're, I don't think, to be honest with you, Olivia, I don't think they're on Facebook. I don't think they do Facebook. I'm pretty sure they don't do Facebook this lot. They do Snapchat and, I'm not saying they Instagram. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think they're on. No, Olivia, no. Um, Natalie, fabulous. You know, I always learn something. Oh, look at that. Let's leave that on. Always learn something. You learn something every time, Natalie. It's a font of information, honestly. Gemma, thank you. Thank you for the question, Gemma. I hope I hope I've covered things, but as I say, feel free to come back to me. Um, Karen at Fairclough, do you do you do more than one surgery while under? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want, I mean you wouldn't do it without the patient's permission, but yeah, of course you can. Yeah. So it's quite common to like do a tummy, tummy and a breast procedure. That's quite common. You know, you can yeah, you can do whatever. Bit of liposuction and a bit of this. Take a mole off and do. Oh, one of my questions is breast implants and an inverted nipple. Yeah, 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 definitely. Gemma, I believe it's a lifelong care with implants needing exchange or explant after many years. I don't want to be in my late fifties, sixties needing new implants again. Uh -huh. I always would like to ask your opinion on breast implant illness. Always. Do you mean also? I think that means also. Um, Lifelong care with implants needing exchange or implant. I think a lot of people think I don't want to have um, surgery in my 50s and 60s. But my advice, to be honest with you, Gemma, if someone comes to me with implants they've had in for a while and there's no problems with them, I would say leave them. And I understand the, the, the concept that you don't have you know problems in your 50s. Well, unless you're taking them and not putting them back in again. If you're just taking them out and not putting them back in again, then yeah, okay. If you've had enough, then that's fine. But if you're having them put back in again, then the clock's going to start ticking on new ones as soon as you put them in. You know, the risk of capsule contraction going hard, things like that. So I would say leave it longer. I don't, I don't, um, I don't concur with this, uh, this, the argument that I don't want to have surgery in my 50s, 60s, so I'm going to have them changed now because uh, I would leave them as long as possible, personally. That would be my view, but at the end of the day, it's your body, and I don't want to impose my views, but that, that's, where I, that's where I'd be sitting with implants. I always tell people, look, if you don't need surgery, if there's not sort of an overriding good reason to have your implants changed, if they're not really causing you much bother, just leave them alone, because you don't want to change them and then again get bothered with a new lot. I know I shouldn't be saying it, because I'm trying to stay in work, but, you know, it's what it is. And my opinion on breast implant inos. It's a tricky one, Gemma, because I know there's a big community out there in the world of pe patients who feel they've been made ill by their implants. And I've de and I've seen people have come to see me who say the implants made them feel ill and you remove the implants and they feel straight away better. It's you know quite dramatic. There's no medical reason for it um, at this point in time. I do talk to people about it now because it is quite a big thing, but I have not seen it in any of my patients. I've had patients come to see me 
with it and I've removed in, their implants and they felt better, but it's not really something I, it's, I think patients often think, well, I get the feeling that they feel that we're sort of covering things up and we're like trying to, you know, but we're not, you know, we're not covering anything up. If there's some evidence there for it and we're doing stuff and not telling people the evidence, then we, you know, they, we get in trouble. You'd sue us and it would all be terrible. So there's no evidence to say that breast implants cause these illnesses. The breast implant illness is very um, non-specific. It's um, aches, pains, hair loss, rashes, uh, lethargy. It's sort of quite non-specific, the symptoms, and it's very hard to sort of narrow it down to some pathology and certainly there's no evidence to say that implants cause these illnesses but nevertheless there are patients out there who describe these illnesses who get better when the implants are removed and maybe tomorrow we'll find a link you know all i can say is today we haven't found a link but whether we find one tomorrow then you know i didn't know that at the moment in time we don't have a link and so i tell people about it and it's just one of the many things to take into account for people who are thinking of having breast implants there's pros and there's cons and i think we're gonna we shouldn't look at we shouldn't forget about the pros because people will say oh what about they cause illness and they cause alcl and they cause uh capsular contracture and if it gets infected you have to remove it and you get rippling and look at all these terrible things that they do and i'm like yes yes I'm, I agree. They do do all those things, but they also do good things. If they didn't do good things and there was only the terrible things, no one would have it. Of course they wouldn't. But they do good things and they make people feel better about themselves and they improve some people's quality of life. And some people are very happy to have to have had them. Most people now, but like earlier, someone was saying about um, fat transfer. Does it? can't remember what the question was but like does it not cause any problems or something you know every operation has a potential to cause problems and it's a potential to make people feel worse or look worse or whatever we wouldn't do it if if we thought it was going to make you feel worse or look worse but there is always that risk there and to be honest with you in terms of breast implants that risk is very small but if you put enough breast implants in and a lot of breast implants are put in in the world even though the risk is small there's still going to be a significant amount of people who do suffer harm but there's still another huge group of people who do benefit and it's just everybody on their own individual basis got to weigh up the pros and cons to say whether it's right for them so that's where i am on breast implant illness Gemma. it's a tricky one john is in john's what's john natalie i think you mean spaniel's ears john no she doesn't she what's going on here we've got a family thing going on John, God, dear, I'll call security in a minute. Spaniel's ears are different. It's dog ears. I mean, dog's ears, spaniel's ears are technically dog's ears, but they are a different anatomical thing. Gemma, on capsulectomy, can you exchange implant at the same time or do you have to wait to heal? No, change implant at the same time. Yeah, quite normal. Capsulectomy and change of implants. Yeah, absolutely fine, Gemma. Um, change implants at the same time. Mia, I can't... Honestly, can't thank you enough for all the help you've given me, Mia. Three scars I have on my face, neck, from my mole removal few years are near invisible now. They made me so much more confident for starting university, and no one even notices the scars. Thank you for amazing, compassionate service. Yuck, I don't want to, can't read this out. Provide both yourself and the rest of the staff of the surgery and made it such an easy, worry-free process for me. Hope to see you in the clinic soon. Thank you. Blushing. Thank you, Mia. Very kind. You've been a lovely person to treat, and I'm glad that it's all worked out really well and it has worked out really well for you. Thank you, Mia, for that. Yeah, blimey. I'm going to 
quit these Facebook lives now. I've had all this good positivity. Can't come back next week, Mia. Can you just copy that? Copy that, yeah, and paste it in next week if you don't mind. Or maybe I'll do it, but no. Anyway, uh, Amanda, that makes sense. Can't remember what it was that made sense, but I'm glad that it did. Um, Gemma, can you do muscle repair through the belly button? No, Gemma, if only. No. Uh, well, I don't know of anyone who is. I mean, can you sort of laparoscope, telescope? That would work, wouldn't it, if you could? But I, I can't. I can't. Maybe some people can. I don't know if anyone who can. But that would that would be good, wouldn't it? Um, for that one about the you know doing a diastasis repair without a tummy tuck. Is there a certain amount of time you're allowed to operate on someone during combined surgery? I saw one of your surgeries on YouTube was five six hours. What's this surgery done? Um, it's all relative, Gemma. And I think for cosmetic surgery, you have to be aware of the time. You don't want to be going too long. So yeah, five, six hours, that's probably like a combined surgery, like a tummy and a breast type of thing. Um, you have to be aware that you don't want to have people under for too long. So, um, but in general terms, if you need to do stuff, then, you know, there is no real limit um obviously the limit of the surgeon um and in terms of risks and things i think it does knock you back the longer the surgery but um you know a lot of the risks come in putting people to sleep and waking them up the bit in the middle is usually sort of not as much risk in terms of the anesthetic but um i mean i when i was in the nhs i used to do breast reconstruction which was taking the tissue from the tummy so the same sort of tissue you take when you do a tummy tuck but instead of throwing it away using it to reconstruct the breast and those operations would take routinely they take sort of eight to ten hours and then sometimes you do a bilateral you do two you know do, do both breasts so those operations were really long and um i remember i started one about eight o'clock in the morning and finished about two o'clock in the morning you know the next morning so what's that <laughs> Can't do the math. that's going to be 15 hours is it or something eight o'clock Eighteen hours anyway long operation terrible terrible so um yeah you can you can spend a long time in operation so that's the longest i've done i think probably certainly when you're training you're doing burns and things you're often doing long ops but um when you're doing the breast reconstructions in terms of microsurgery they're often long surgery um and so there's no sort of limit on it but you don't really want to be doing you know 18 hour operations on a regular basis um if you're going to help it uh, the shorter the, the surgery the you know quicker recovery and less anesthetic you have and things so yeah nice one thanks Gemma. if you have a capsulectomy is it okay to leave it if it doesn't cause you problems otherwise just hard but no pain etc yeah oh yeah absolutely Gemma. yeah so so you, you mean if you have a capsular contracture is it okay to leave it yeah so if you've got a capsular contracture you can absolutely leave it so that's why i say to people look, if you haven't got if you're not that bothered by it if it just feels a bit hard but it doesn't cause you any pain and it's just like well, it just feels a bit hard absolutely leave it definitely i mean it'll probably get worse and i say this to you it's probably gonna get worse but it might take many years for it to get worse because a lot of people say, like you, you were, I think it was, it was you saying that, um, uh, oh, I want to get it done now because if it gets worse and I don't want to be let older and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, no, I would do it. It's not, it's not, 
in any way that that much more difficult to do when it's more advanced it's not like oh my god you've left it too long if you've done it last year we could have done it so much easier but you've left it too long now it's not like that you know whenever you do a captivectomy you do a captivectomy so i would i would say the longer the better Gemma. basically if it's not causing you that much bother don't have anything done just leave it just let sleeping dogs lie double black heart what's that emoji huh? it's a bit old school black and white nice thanks natalie sorry i'm on a roll i'll shut up now no Gemma. oh we've, we've run out of comments oh what we run out of comments Gemma, go for it some corkers i got some preordained ones here or at least i did have pip's back come on come on pip what are you doing why doesn't the NHS cancer patients undergoing, for example, a mastectomy get to see someone like you? They do, Pip. They do. That's what I used to do. When I was in the NHS, I used to see uh, patients who are having a, a mastectomy for a reconstruction. So they do. And sometimes the general surgeon who does the reconstruction will, uh, sorry, who does the mastectomy will do the reconstruction. And sometimes um, a plastic surgeon like myself will be doing the reconstruction. But yeah, they, they do, or at least they should. I think they do. They did when I was there. In fact, they do. I know they do. Of course they do. They do. They do, Pip. They do. They do. They do. They do. They do. Don't they? What's that? A wave or a clap? Anyway. It seems much later. No, they should. They should. It's difficult because obviously when you get the diagnosis of uh, breast cancer, it's quite clearly uh, traumatic. And having a mastectomy is bad enough, but a mastectomy is like, I don't know, one or two hour operation. Sometimes people don't, you know, just talk about reconstruction then. There's all sorts of reconstructions you can have, and they range from having an implant, which might be another, you know, an hour or so, up to having a free flat, like the things I was talking about, eight to 10 hour, big operations. And you've got to remember, this is going to be booked for like next week, you know, like one minute you're told you've got breast cancer, next minute you've got a mastectomy, and then do you want to reconstruct? So some people can't or don't want to actually think about reconstruction at the time, but it's very, it's it's not uncommon to have a reconstruction at the time. It's called an immediate reconstruction. So there's two types of reconstruction you can have when you're having a breast reconstruction, an immediate reconstruction and a delayed reconstruction. So an immediate reconstruction means you go to theater, you have your mastectomy, and then you have reconstruction at the same operation. Um, whereas a delayed reconstruction means you have a mastectomy, you let it all heal, and you come back months or years later to have your reconstruction. And there's pros and, like anything, pros and cons are both something that we try and go through with the patients. But uh, it should be offered. I think it should be offered to everybody. I think uh, it, sh it should be at least mentioned the potential for a immediate reconstruction if you're a candidate for it. And it should be something that should be um, spoken about. Rebecca, for breast reduction operation, is full general anesthetic the only option? Can local or twilight ever be used for breast reduction? So local, no, I would say. Twilight, mm, twilight is uh, local and sedation, and it's pushing it a bit, Rebecca. It's pushing it a bit. It can be done. It can be done. A breast reduction can be done under twilight anesthetic, um, but I would say if it was me, I would say to you, uh, you know, we, we normally do it in theatre 
with the same theatre where we do the general anaesthetic. So I would say, look, if it's uncomfortable, if you're not enjoying it, we'll convert you to a general. So if there was, if you really wanted to have local sedation or a twilight anaesthetic, we'd say, look, we'll have an anaesthetist there. And if it's not comfortable for you, then we'll change it to a general. Because I would say a breast reduction is, is quite a big operation to have under twilight. It's not unheard of, but it's not that common. So yeah, it can be done, but... Gemma, is it risky to cut out scar tissue which has developed from wound breakdown? As in, there's a chance it will happen again in that area. This is to do scar revision too in that area. So a 10 PPP scar that has a very hard lump underneath. Yes, it is. I wouldn't say risky, Gemma. Risky is probably a bit of a strong word, but this is the problem with scar revision, Gemma. As surgeons, we make scars. That's all we do. When we touch you, we create scar. So it's very hard when patients come and want scar revision because they think plastic surgeons are brilliant. Well, you'd be the judge, but they think plastic surgeons are brilliant and they get rid of scars. I'm like, we don't get rid of scars. We just give you new scars. And we hope that our scars are better than your old scars. And there are sometimes things we can do to try and make our scars better than your scars. But if you just cut out a scar and stitch it up, yeah, you're going to get a scar. And so that's why if someone comes with us and says, oh, I want my scar revised, and you're like, well, what's wrong? I'll just go and get rid of it. Well, I'm not going to get rid of it. I, I can change the angle of it, or I can maybe make it less puckered or less dented or something like that. Um, but I can't get rid of it. You know, I've got to think, is there something I can do to it to make it better? Uh, if it's just, you know, well, it'll still be a scar there. But, you know, it, it, the good thing about what you said is that you had a wound breakdown. So if you had a wound breakdown, that might mean that you developed a bit more scarring that we would have liked. So if we can maybe revise that scar and get it to heal better, get it to heal more quickly without a wound breakdown, then there's more chance that you will get a better scar. It's not guaranteed, but it's a tricky one. But yeah, we there is a chance it can happen again, definitely in that area. And in, there's a there's not even a chance you will need to have a scar in that area, and there's a chance it will be just as bad as the scar you've got now. But the hope is that it'll be better. Natalie. I hope these services are being restored by the NHS first. They are, Natalie. I think they're starting to move now in that way, now in terms of the uh, reconstruction and what have you. Um, talking to my colleagues in the NHS, the cancer reconstruction and cancer surgery is starting to... I think it's, it's always been going. You know, if you had a time-sensitive cancer, I think that was always still going. Uh, and now it's starting to start uh, come back in because obviously these are worrying things for people that they need to get treated. Pip, thank you. Yes, my friend has been through so much. Just a quick one on TT. Can you share the shape the torso having lipo well at the same time as a TT, please? Or do you think it's better as two stage approached? The lift down of the belly doesn't misplace the fat. Thank you, JJ. Um, yeah, I don't think it's better as a two stage approach, Pip. I would do it as a one stage. Yes, you can shape the torso. What you normally do, well, what I do, not what I do, is I shape the torso, I shape the anterior torso with a tummy tuck. So the anterior abdomen with a tummy tuck. And then I shape the sides, sort of sculpt the sides, the hips, the flanks with the liposuction. So that's the approach that I do. Um, and the lift down of the belly doesn't misplace. No, I mean, it stretches the upper abdominal fat and makes the upper, upper abdominal contour better. But um, that's how I would do it. And it would, I would say, get it done in one op. 
the only rider for that is sometimes when people are asking for liposuction actually around their back, uh, which very few people actually need, to be honest with you. Um, but that is something that I would probably be saying, look, do you need it? How much of a problem is it? Maybe you want to think about having that as a second stage because we don't really want to turn you during surgery. Um, but certainly contouring the whole anterior abdomen in one operation would be something which would be really very uh, reasonable to do with a combination of tummy tuck and liposuction. That's not uncommon, quite common in fact. Gemma, could you explain an internal bra during breast surgery, please? Yeah, I can, can Gemma. Um, so it's, again, it's a bit of a term, this, and what it usually means is a, a device, some kind of device. And the, it's trying to solve the problem that we were talking about a minute ago in terms of the fullness in the upper pole and keeping that fullness in the upper pole, which is one of the real challenges in breast surgery, in breast lifts and in breast reductions. Because a lot of people have a breast lift, particularly if you're having a lift, because they want a better shape of their breast and they want more fullness in the upper part of the breast. And what I always say to people, whether it be a breast reduction or a breast lift, it starts there and then it settles to what I would call a natural shape, a concavity in your upper pole as opposed to a convexity in your upper pole. And it is a natural shape, but a lot of people think, hold on a minute, I want it to be fuller up there. And in my hands, the only way to do that really is with an implant. And if we could solve that problem, happy days. And this internal bra concept is something that is trying to solve that problem. So it's a very noble cause. And if it was bang on, I would be using it, but I'm not. And it's there's, there's been devices in different forms around for a long time in terms of prosthetic meshes and, um, and scaffolds that will hold the breast and keep it up there to stop it from sagging, which is what this internal bra is. It's some kind of, so they come in different forms. You get some which are like a hammock, which just, which which anchors into the ribs, into bones of your ribs to hold your breasts up. Some which are like a cone, which goes underneath the skin and holds the breast in a cone to hold it up. And they have issues anytime you're using prosthetic material, well, in terms of implants and prosthetic material, if it gets infected, it can cause very difficult problems because it becomes integrated with tissue, so it's hard to remove. When you're you have to anchor to it to something that doesn't move, so usually you're anchoring it to bone, and it can cause discomfort and pain when you're anchoring it to bone. And it, I haven't seen it being really effective myself, and I don't uh, do it. But I would love there to be something because if I could give people i i have to you know warn people of what sort of shape they can expect after a lift because they have to be realistic because i don't want people coming back saying hold on a minute i've had a lift and they've sagged they're like they haven't sagged they're just a natural shape they're a lot better than they were before but they always go into this con um cavity in the upper pole but that's the that's the internal bra chamber olivia it's because on nip tuck he left no scars always removed them oh did he yeah well, that's nip tuck for you, Olivia. That's in America. You see, they remove the scars in America, but in the UK, we can't remove scars. We're just, you know, mortals. Gemma, can you explain ab etching? I've seen the term used on social media, but is that just from lipo? Do you do it? Yes, I can explain it. Uh, it is from lipo, and no, I don't do it. So what it is, um, I think what you're describing is um, what sometimes, it, it, to be honest, it's gone a bit out of vogue. It was in vogue a little while ago of people over liposucking the abdomen 
in order to make it look like you've got the tenderness intersections of a, an abdominal six pack. So someone without a six pack, if you, one of the risks of liposuction is you overdo it. And if you overdo liposuction, you get a dent. But I think what some people were doing were actually creating dents in that way to make it look like someone's got a six pack. And I, I think that's what you mean, but oh, I'm not sure. But that, that was certainly a, a vogue. Um, it's not a very good thing to do to over-resect. It's going to have unpredictable effects in terms of weight loss and weight gain. And uh, it's hard to control that scarring and that, that denting. Um, so to falsely create a dent, I think, is a dangerous thing to do. And I don't do it. Um, but I, I think that's what you're referring to. Rebecca. I love that show. Adored Christian Troy's character. First few seasons were great. Shame the last few seasons were a bit ropey. I think it's Nip Tuck you're referring to, Rebecca. I'm not familiar with it. I <laughs> haven't watched that. Big crush on Christian. Loved it all. I thought I'd seen pigskin before for internal bras. Yeah. Um, pigskin, probably not, but pig dermis, maybe. So they take the sort of outer layer of the skin and they use the inner layer of the skin. But yeah, in terms of these scaffolds and these. Um, things that we use to support stuff, which may be the breast, maybe sometimes in, in the abdomen. Um, yes, you can use pig dermis. That is a one of the one of the um, one of the things that the the the, the, um, the the products that you can use for for uh, for holding things up. Quite expensive though, Pip. It's quite expensive. It's a thing, but as I say, it's not it's not widely recognized as being a predictable results. So right. <clears throat> Excuse I. Is it possible to have BBA and inverted nipple at the same time? Yes, yes, it is. Uh BBA being breast augmentation. So um, breast augmentation and nipple inverted nipple, perfectly reasonable combination. And um yeah, that's absolutely fine. Breast reduction slash mastopexy, breast lift, different kettle of fish. I probably wouldn't go messing with a nipple if I was doing a breast reduction or a breast lift because you're moving the nipple and you worry about the vascularity of the nipple. So I probably wouldn't go convert. I wouldn't go correcting an inverted nipple for a breast lift or a breast reduction. But for breast augmentation, no problem at all. Absolutely fine and be happy to do that. Um, hold on a minute. What's going on? What are the, oh God, lost control of the track chat what are the what i thought i'd seen pick okay Gemma. what are the symptoms of overdoing the lipo causing dents basically uh Gemma. whenever you do lipo there's always a risk of doing too much or do too little and if you do too much you cause dents so basically so in terms of the etching which you, i think you were talking about um if you so you're you're create you're deliberately doing too much to cause these dents and it's just a for me, I mean, it's just me here. I mean, someone who does it might tell you that it's great and they get fantastic results. And I've seen some good results on on paper, you know, on pictures. But if you don't, if you overdo it, if you overdo lipo, you can't put the fat back. It's very hard to, to correct. Um, I mean, you can do fat grafting, but it doesn't go because it's scarred. So it's a dangerous game to create those in tenderness intersections with by falsely creating scarring. Um, and so the symptoms are that if you do too much, if you don't get it right, it's it's that's it. It's there. Um, so it's not it's it's not I think it's not something for me to be doing. But, yeah, that is the worry. It's it's a hard problem to correct if, if it doesn't look right. Uh, internal bra sounds scary. Yeah. Well, 
At the start of the live, what was it you said again? You heard it here first. I forgot. Oh, blimey, that's me. I don't know. Oh, we think you're going back in June, maybe. We think you've opened the clinic in June. But we might not, so I don't even know why I said it. I probably shouldn't have said it, because if we don't, then it looks a bit stupid, but no one watches this anyway. So anyway, I think that's my, what I said. Uh, anyway, you can watch it again. Natalie, just watch it in a minute. It'll come up, doesn't it? Come up or tomorrow. Uh, blimey, until it doesn't sound. I don't want to make it sound bad. I'll probably be doing it next week, won't I? I'll probably meet the, the rep will come and see me, and I think, yeah, I'll do it next week. Oh God, how can I get rid of that Facebook live where I had to go at it? I just the concept is good. I don't want to make it sound bad. The concept is brilliant. If it works, and the thing that worries that's what worries me. But maybe someone out there is doing. I don't think anyone's really doing it. If maybe someone's out there doing it, getting great results and low complication rate, and they're looking at me thinking, what's that Muppet talking about? You know, I just, in my experience, I haven't seen it being perfected yet. Oh dear. Okay, I wanted inverted nipple correction on reduction and he wouldn't do it. That makes sense now. Is the inverted nipple correction costly? Oh God, costs again. Oh God. Um, how much is an inverted nipple, Gemma? I have no idea. I don't know. A couple of thousand pounds, maybe. I don't know, Gemma. I've no idea. I don't even know why I said that. You can email or should we message you? Should I, if you really want to know, we can message you how much an inverted nipple costs. Or you message me and we can message you back or email you. Natalie, no, it was to do with an uplifting implants. Oh, conical implants. Conical implants, yes. Um, I was supposed to be talking in March about conical implants, Natalie, which are very good for people who've got a bit of a droop who don't want an uplift. Um, so if you don't want an uplift, but you need an uplift with implants, then you can use implants to add volume and projection to the breast. But you have to use quite a big implant with projection and conical implants were available a few years ago and I used them quite a lot um, in patients who are sort of borderline for a lift and they're looking at bringing them back out again but I think it's well I know it's obviously been delayed because of the coronavirus because I was supposed to be talking in March sort of like what was it 20 23rd or 24th of March or something like that right, right around the time that it all got locked down I was supposed to be giving a talk in Dusseldorf about them because I used them before but um, they're re rescheduling it to later on in the year so yeah. Gemma. Sorry. Okay. Yes, please. Also, the nipples remain erect when they are corrected. Sorry if I sound thick. No. Uh, well, they they don't they don't move that much in terms of hot, cold, erotic sensation, what have you. So it's variable because some of the nerve supply to the nipple might be affected. So some of the sensation might be affected. So they might not be as reactive as a non as a normal nipple, if you like. Um, but they just, they hopefully stay out. One of the risks of inverted nipples is they can contract in again, but they hopefully don't contract in again. They stay out, but they don't tend to move as much as an, in terms of, you know, um, movement in terms of sensitivity is, is not as much once you've had a, an inverted nipple. Oh, sorry. I'm moving. The I'm losing it. I'm losing it. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you. Right. Um, right. It's good. It's good. You know, I really worry when I haven't got any questions, but I don't need to worry, do I? Because you guys have got questions coming out your ears. Um, here we go. But still, do email me questions in, in advance because it is nice to have a bit of a buffer. 
One stitch faces versus thread lifts. Difference, length of time, they both last worth the money question mark. Full disclaimer, I don't do this sort of stuff. Uh, I don't dabble with the facial uh, aesthetics, but um, oh, I hadn't read this properly. One stitch facelift versus thread lift. That, is that what it is? Oh, God. Oh, God, I don't know. Oh, dear, oh, dear. I thought it was like a mini or short scarf. I thought it said short scarf facelift versus thread lift, so I knew what I was going to say. But it doesn't, does it? It says one stitch facelift versus thread lift. Right. Um, I think they're pretty similar, aren't they? I mean, a thread lift is using a stitch, and the one stitch is using a stitch. I, I, I think, God, it's not my forte, you know. I think they're the same. I, th I think. Oh, God. Can you someone Google it and let me know? Anyway, I think um, so. Basically, it's a it's a stitch and it's got like little barbs on it so that it pulls and doesn't go down again, and it just passes it through here to sort of tighten the skin. I don't know what it costs. It's very good because it's got low down time. But basically, what I was going to say, I'm, I know what I'm going to do. What the politicians do, and I'm going to answer the question that I want to answer rather than the one that was asked. That's what I've got to learn, and I should have done that seamlessly without saying that I was going to do that. But anyway move on um so basically there's a spectrum and one end of the spectrum you've got stuff like this one stitch facelift thread lift thing where you just put a thing in thread and you put it up and you wheat the skin up uh which has got very low downtime no scars um fantastic then you've got stuff like a short scar facelift where you just have a scar in front of the ear and then you've got a full facelift where you've got a scar around the ear that you know in front of the ear around the back and then goes over the you know up into your hairline and if you say to someone, what do you want? A big scar around your hairline, bruising, swelling, risks of necrosis, risk of this, risk of that, all these terrible things. Or do you just want to stick a needle in and pull it up? You'd be like, oh, stick a needle in, pull it up. It's cheaper, less downtime, um, less complications, less scarring. I love that. Everyone would love that, wouldn't they? But it's less of a result. So that's the problem with this short, you know, well, that's no scar, the stitch. But, you know, the, the less scarring, invasive you are the less of a result same with the sort of non-surgical i understand non-surgical is big and it's very impressive you know the growth of non-surgical in, in in the world because people don't want the downtime they don't want the scars and i totally understand that i don't want it if i'm having surgery and they said do you want to have a scar or not i'm like no i don't do you want to have surgery or do you want to have non -sur want to have non-surgical please i have this machine i'll have that please no, i don't want to have surgery but the problem is it's less of a result and that's always the balance you gotta you gotta you know balance it with you know the longer the scar the more skin you can take out the more tightening you can make if you're just doing a stitch slash thread lift which i think is the same um you're not taking any skin out you're just sort of hooking up the tissues that are there so it's for a younger person and it's going to last less time it's going to reset you back to a better place but perhaps not as far back as the uh, as a short scar facelift wood slash as a full facelift wood. Gemma, how come they do inverted after breastfeeding? They were fine until my fourth, fifth child. Then on my sixth, I needed a nipple shield, so it was very hard. Because of the ducts, Gemma, the reason people get inverted nipples is because the milk ducts are scarred. And when the milk ducts scar, they pull down. And that's usually the cause of inverted nipples. Um, scarring of the milk ducts which pulls the nipple down and pulls it in short scar question follow on well there you go olivia so a short scar is just a scar in front of the ear 
and a full facelift it goes round the bottom of the ear and goes back into the hairline and as i say it's less of a scar but less of a lift is it common to have nerve damage after surgery or can it be prevented? So there's two types, Gemma, really. There's sort of a major nerve damage, like, for instance, you know, facial nerve if you're operating on the face or some nerve, you know, big motor nerve that supplies some structure, um, which is not that common for most surgery. And if it is common for, like, for instance, eyelid, there's a nerve that raises the eyebrow. If you're taking a skin cancer off this sort of area, there's a nerve that comes up here. So that's a bit of a risk. So there are certain areas where we worry about certain nerves. But most surgery, it's not big nerves, it's little nerves, and it's little nerves that supply sensation. So that's why it's unpredictable. And often you can't see those nerves. So often after surgery, you have numbness, you have pins and needles, you kind of have overly sensitive, you have weird nerve feelings. And we don't know if that's just because everything's been pushed and pulled about by the surgery, or if those nerves have been cut. So what I normally say to people is, look, it's often weird to start off with. It will get better and it usually settles and it often comes back to normal, but not always. And you might have persistent problems in terms of numbness or funny feelings, but you have to wait nine to 12 months to see if it's going to come back to life. So you have to wait a while. It takes a while for nerves to come back to life. So it's common to have this sort of weird nervy sensation and it usually comes back to life, but there may be long-term problems. And it's usually little nerves you can't see, not major motor nerves that supply sort of some big um you know big big structure so where are we at this is where we're at guys we're here does breast reduction breast reduction operation the breast tissue is cut up and rearranged so to speak what are the implications of this on any mammograms for breast cancer screening afterwards as i get older i'll start being invited for regular mammograms as every woman in the uk does if I've had a breast, it's gone off. <laughs> That's as much text as my thing will take. Um, if I've had a breast reduction, will my mammogram result appear abnormal due to scarring, etc.? Will the operation make any possible future cancers more difficult to detect, etc.? Good question. So um, the thing about, uh, you're absolutely right. So if you have a breast reduction, it will create scarring, which may show up on a mammogram. Having said that, they're pretty good these days at telling the difference between scar tissue, which can show, show sort of areas on a mammogram, and calcification from a cancer. So they can tell the difference between a cancer and scar tissue on the mammogram uh, from the breast reduction so obviously you have to tell them you've had a breast reduction so they know that there's going to be scar tissue there but we do do breast reductions on patients who've had breast cancer so it's not unusual to do breast uh, reductions on people who have breast cancer so they're obviously at a high risk of having recurrences so if it if it was a problem we wouldn't do it to those patients so it is something they need to be aware of but uh, in terms of the um, sensitivity of the mammograms these days, they, they can tell the difference between the calcification of a cancer and the um, scar tissue that will show up on the mammogram from a breast reduction. So that's a great question, and there will be scar tissue there, but it is usually, you can tell the difference between that and a cancer. Very good one. What you got, Olivia? What can go wrong with a short scar facelift? Scared I'd look terrible, then be stuck with it. Uh, God, where do I start? Um, well, as I say, Olivia, but uh, yeah, overdoing it, underdoing it, overdoing it, making it too tight, underdoing it, not making it tight enough. Uh, if you make it too tight, you can kill the skin, so the skin can die, so you can get uh, the necrosis of the skin. 
at its worst, if you really want to know worst case scenario. Um, but if not, if it is a bit too tight, because obviously we're trying to make it right. We're trying to make you have a difference. We want to make you look good. But if we overzealous on it and trying to tighten it too much, then we can then the scar scar can stretch and the scars in front of the ear. So it can be a bit obvious if the scar stretches. You can pull the tragus, this little bit of the ear, you know, that little bit. Where is it? That little bit there, you know, that bit that can be pulled uh forward. Nerve damage. Uh, there are nerves. There's a main nerve that supplies the smile, some nerves that supply the top lip, one that supplies the bottom lip. You know, potentially that could be damaged. But as I say, with a small, with a short scar, you're making less of a dissection forward. So the less of the dissection forward, the less uh, those nerves are at risk. Um, bleeding, infection, hematoma. Yeah, I, I don't want to be negative, but you know, there are bad things that can happen when you have surgery. Obviously, trying to avoid all of those things, but you asked. But yeah, Gemma, I'd have most likely not had uplift reduction if I'd found you first, that's for sure. You definitely weigh it up and very direct with risks and expectations. I hate the scars too. Like you see, say, either put up with them or have the scars. I wish someone had said that to me. I'm sure I'm grieving over my old boobs still. Oh, God, dear, dear. Oh, Gemma, it's upsetting. Um, you've got to move forward, Gemma. Hindsight's a very precise science, and you know, it's difficult. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, you know, mm, scars are there, aren't they? And on the front, but in the bra, but yeah. Um, how you have you come across people that are able to breastfeed after reduction? Yes, absolutely, yes, absolutely, wholeheartedly, yes. But if someone said to me, I definitely want to breastfeed. I'd say finish your family before having a breast reduction because you might not be able to breastfeed. Same with the reduction, you might not be able to breastfeed with a sorry, same with a lift. Um, when you do these, you're mobilizing the nipple and it, you're mobilizing it more with a reduction because you're isolating the nipple on a pedicle. And the pedicle is a stalk of tissue which has got the blood supply, the nerve supply, and the milk ducts. And we can't see how much blood supply and nerve supply is in that pedicle, is in that stalk. We can't see because we're just seeing the outside of it. We just got to hope there's enough milk ducts in there to allow you to breastfeed afterwards. Now, some people can't breastfeed even without having surgery. So assuming you can breastfeed already, you may not be able to breastfeed if you have a reduction, but it's not definite. It's just a may. Olivia looks sick. Sorry, Olivia, have I said all those, I shouldn't have said all those bad things about short scars, facelift. I'm sorry, you probably, they're probably, you probably won't get, you know, talk to someone who does it, Olivia. I don't know if I was overdoing it, but you're right, you know, yeah, maybe not all those bad things, but. It's like you read the paracetamol, you know, you read the complications of a paracetamol, you think, oh my God. Um, but you have to know, I'm not saying you shouldn't know, you have to know. Charlene, Charlene's in the house, like the sparkles. TT related, if that's okay. That's absolutely fine, Charlene. TT, I can handle TT. I've received emails back from your practice, but I'm wondering whether to have TT or TT with lipo. I've had three children and weigh, weight loss, so have an overhang. Would you be able to create a more hourglass figure with having lipo and TT, if that makes sense? Also, if you happen to get a dog ear from surgery, is that something that's corrected with aftercare? Thank you. Very good, Charlene. So in answer to your question, yes, an hourglass figure is more possible with lipo. And lipo is good for the sides. It's good for these bits here. These bits here. But it does make it more expensive. So I've got to say, they do respond well to weight loss. So the first thing is, is your weight 
good. If your weight's if you're not happy with your weight, get your weight right first. Because sometimes if you lose weight, it goes off those hips and those and those flanks. So you might not need liposuction. Now, in terms of value for money, the most value for money comes with the tummy tuck, the central bit. That is the really important bit, and and that is where you get the real, you know, the real um, dramatic transformation. The size less so, but what I do, and I'll show you. Uh, photos of people who have had lipo and haven't had lipo if you haven't had lipo you may still have a bit of a bit of fullness on the sides and it's just important to be aware that that, that will be there because what i don't want to do is to do a tummy tuck without lipo and then you come back and say what have you done here you stuck these big bits on the side i'm like i'm stuck on there they were always there it's just i couldn't get to them because you can't get to them unless until you do unless you do lipo so yes lipo will give you more shape on the sides but it is more expensive so it's a balance as to whether you know it's worth it, basically. Um, and if you get a doggy, yes, that is covered. So uh, you don't have to pay. So it's what's called a fixed price package. So if you get any problems like that, any wound problems or a doggy, uh, I normally say to people, wait at least three months because doggies often settle. But if they don't settle, I'll fix it, no problem at all. And you don't have to pay if you have a doggy or anything like that. Thank you, Charlene. And uh, thank you for looking at the emails and reading them. Thank you. Um, is spitting stitches common? Yes, it is, Gemma. So often when we're doing stuff like a breast reduction, we use dissolvable sutures to take the tension off the wound before we put the skin suture in. And sometimes after time, they can um, spit and cause problems. And that is not uncommon. Um, uh, and it's just a bit of a nuisance more than anything. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. But um, yeah, it's... it's <laughs> Is it common? I'm not sure if common is the right word, but not uncommon. Is that the same as common? Anyway, I'd say not uncommon rather than common. Subtle difference. <laughs> um, Pip, from your experience, do you find scarring fades well over time in most of your cases? Yes. Time is the main thing for scarring, Pip. You've got to leave it at least a year. Sometimes it's better two years. You know, it can take a long time for scarring. But yes, yeah, scarring is the best thing. Definitely. It's better to know, Olivia. I'm sorry. Maybe I overdid it a bit, Olivia. But yeah. Pip, how do we see these example patients, please? You mean before and after photos? There's some on the website, Pip, on each page about halfway down or maybe a bit further sometimes. It's not very clear because I try put, I wonder if I put too much on my website, to be honest with you. But there's a bit that says show examples of our cases or something or see examples of our cases. And you click and it shows you some before and after photos on each of the pages. There should be. Anyway, let me know if you can't find them and I'll send you links. I'll send you a link. Last question. Last question on the books. So um, I had two moles removed, brackets shaved, at another clinic around 16 months ago. One on my face and one on my leg. I'm extremely happy with the one on my face, and I say this with no reflection on the surgeon at all, but I'm deeply unhappy with the one on my leg. So, um, and this patient has allowed us to show their photograph, so thank you very much for that. So uh, I am now going to show the photo like that. So this is this, yeah, hello, hello. Oh, okay, all right, it's all right. Huh? That's what I'm talking about. Oh no, all the way around. <laughs> Look at that. Oh, no. It's up there. See it up there. Um, so this is a scar on the leg. So um, 
and and this is this is one of the things a lot of people say plastic surgeons don't leave scars everybody leaves scars now the fact of the matter is we often operate on the face and the face scars well and the body doesn't scar as well as the face I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say so um i'm not surprised that your face has gone really well and your legs not so good um it's just the fact of life but the, the the back the, the 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 leg it just doesn't scar as well and this scar i don't did i say how long ago how long ago was it um so this scar 16 months so it's good it's good time uh this is quite raised it's a bit red still 16 months is quite a long time i don't know if it healed up well but it might it, it looks a little bit what i would call hypertrophic and that means uh it's a bit too red it's a bit raised and often these sorts of scars are a bit itchy uh there are a few things that can be done for it uh, the first thing is massage if you've got a moisturizer just massage it with a moisturizer uh that might help uh, I understand it's difficult because it's a leg. It's quite high up on the, high up on the leg, so it's quite difficult to get to. The other thing you can do is silicone. Sil oh, silicone. Oh. Available at the clinic, silicone gel. <laughs> silicone gel or silicone sheets. And there's two types. There's a silicone gel. We offer it in a six-gram tube. Uh, with the silicone gel, or we have the dual action 15 gram silicone gel with ball bearing applicator, which applies pressure, because that's the other thing. So um, when I said massage it, just giving it a bit of pressure with a massage um, or silicone. Silicone does help with raised uh, lumpy scars. So silicone might help um, either, as I say, as a gel or as a sheet. You can buy it from pharmacies. Um, and that can help with the raised red nature of it. The next step, if it continued to be a problem, would be to think about injecting steroid into it, which can also help with the itch and help with the redness and the raisedness of it. Looking at the photo, it doesn't look that raised, so I'm not sure whether that would be worth putting steroid into it, but that would be the next step. And though those would probably be my modalities of treatment. I probably wouldn't suggest cutting out and stitching it up again, unless you're absolutely, you know, really hate it and desperate because there's a risk it could go the same way again, especially if it healed up okay. If it didn't heal up okay and it opened up, then it might be worth cutting it, cutting it and stitching it. But if it healed up again, the worry about cutting and stitching it again is that it does the same thing. Um, so the bottom line is it's tricky. Legs and, and trunk and body doesn't heal as well as uh, the face in general terms. And I would probably say a bit of massage, moisturize, uh, consider silicone and if that didn't work then you could consider steroid injection which is something we do at the clinic um, silicone you can just do yourself at home you can just buy some from the chemist uh, we have a it's available on the website and also on facebook um, but other 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 sources are also available <laughs> so yeah lumpy scar on leg that's that one just that's good isn't it charlene's back i'm going to remove that source the sources are removed. Uh, where are we up to? Gemma. Gemma says, I have a deeper, deep, dark, purple, small scar. I'm not sure if there's a stitch in there still, but it does worry me if it's normal. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's if it's colored, it might be, I guess, if they used colored stitches, there, could, sometimes it does a bit of berry stitch underneath the skin. Um, if it's not bothering you, I won't worry too much. But if it does bother you, then yeah, see your see your surgeon. Might be take it out if it is a stitch, or if it's just purple massage. If it's just purple and not particularly raised, 
or sort of red, then maybe silicone wouldn't help so much. It helps. Silicone is more for the lumpy, raised scars rather than just purple. Purple is somewhat, if it's flat and purple, probably less so. Um, Charlene. Thank you. I've almost lost as much as I want to now, but my overhang does still go towards the sides. So I think I may be happy with the lipo added. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, well, you're welcome, Charlene. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Pip. Sorry, one more. Are the muscles always repaired during the full time attack? Thanks. No, they're not, Charlene. Um, I'd say usually repaired. I wouldn't say always. I wouldn't say 100% of the time, but usually. And it's part of it. It's not something you have to um, pay extra or anything like that for. And it's something we'd assess in the clinic. We'd assess the integrity of those muscles to see whether they need bringing back together. But usually people who need a tummy tuck have, have uh, the muscles a bit um, apart. So we usually bring it back together as a part of a tummy tuck. That was a big one, wasn't it? Oh, right. So um, that's a lot. Oh, Gemma. Yeah, completely flat. Just a dark purple line. Line. I mean, it might be a stitch, I guess, if it's a line not underneath the skin. Whether, unless, well, I suppose if there were any purple stitches in before, did they take any stitches out would be the question. If they had, there were purple stitches in that they took out, then there could be a bit of stitch underneath the skin that rather than cutting one end of it and putting it through, they might have accidentally cut both ends of it and left the bit inside sort of thing. If they were, if they were, if they took out purple stitches, but if there weren't any stitches, then it might just be the scarring a bit purple. Thank you, Charlene. Lovely to see you here this evening, and uh, yeah, maybe see you soon at the clinic. Hopefully, when it's all uh, all the madness is over, or you can do a virtual one. Something to think about. So, I'm gonna. Oh, that was a belter. What? That was good, wasn't it? What time is it now? 45. Wow. Heck. This could be sustainable. Wow. Um, thank you. I might do this again, you know. Yeah, I might do it again. You know what? I'm going to do it next week. Next week, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, I'll be here. If you've got any questions, do what you did tonight, which is just fantastic. Thank you for all the questions. Got a bit emotional halfway through. Um, but, you know, touching my feminine side um thank you for kind words those people who chose to uh, to leave kind words and uh, thanks charlene Gemma, olivia thank you all good night and uh i will see you here uh thank you pip thank you for the questions thank you for chipping in very very grateful for your um virtual tummy tuck did i say virtual tummy tuck yeah god i should do that shouldn't i Virtual time. I'll talk you through it, Charlene. Yeah, get some stuff from the kitchen. I'll talk you through step by step. Do a special discount. Yeah, no virtual consultations, but virtual tummy tuck haven't quite got there yet. But yeah, we should probably work on it, shouldn't we? Night, Natalie. I'm liking the emoji, and I will check out here, and I will see y'all same time, same place. I'm looking forward to it already. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.